The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to disconcern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold... You will, your relative Elizabeth in her old age will also conceive a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Praise, Praise be, be to Christ. Christ. Thank you. All right. So we are going to have our kids' message now. During Advent, we've been having these children's messages. And uh, so they're going to come in, and I get to do it this morning. So I am going to head right over. What's that? Oh, in elementary. Yeah, if you, uh, kids ages first through fourth grade, if you want to go ahead and come on up here as well. After this, if you want to go to the elementary message across the hall, um, you can do that, or you can stay in the room here. Um, and as you guys are coming up, I'm going to stand We've, we've kind of negotiated this where I have to kind of stand over here because you all don't really want to see me right now. You want to see these awesome guys. Okay, but you can't really because they're down on the ground. Hi, how are you guys? You guys good? What do you guys have on your heads? Halos. Halos? What's a halo about? What, what's it supposed to mean? What's that? Angels. angels? Do you guys know anything about angels? Yeah. What do you know about angels? Fly. They fly. What else do you... They fly. What else do you know about angels? Yeah? They have wings. What else do you know about angels? I'm going to... What? Oh, that's right. They got to the birth to the baby son that was born. That's right. All right, well, I'm going to tell you guys some things about angels, and I'm going to need your help, okay? So the way I need you, I'm going to tell you six things about angels. And they're going to happen fast. And it's going to go like this. I'm going to say number one, and you're going to say number one. Okay? And then I'm going to say number two, and you're going to say number two. So let's try it. Number one. Number one. All right, louder. Number one. Angels are created by God. No, oh, you guys are repeating. You don't have to to repeat everything. You just have to do the number thing. Angels are created by God. They're, 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 They're not God, right? But they're created by God. We're created by God. So we have that in common with angels. Number two. Angels have names. Did you know that? 
The angels have names. Do you guys know any of the names of angels in the Bible? Yes. What? Say it out loud. Um, Angel Gabriel. That's right. And there's another one who has a name in the Bible named Michael. Right? And we can assume, can't we, that if there's two angels that have names, they probably all have names. Right? Number three. There are lots of them. There's lots of angels. Lots of them. You know when the, when the angel, angel appears to the shepherds outside Bethlehem and he tells his story and he tells them his son is going to be born, his son has been born to you. And he, you know that story? What happens once, once he gets the message out? A whole bunch of them show up, right? They all just come flooding out. They're everywhere. All right, number four. Let me try that one again. Number four. They are very powerful. So if your image of an angel is a little baby with little wings, think again, my friends. They are powerful. They're mighty warriors, Ephesians calls them in Psalms. Number five. Angels, I love this one. Angels have jobs. Did you know that? They have jobs. God commands them, and then they carry out God's plan. So Michael was a soldier. He was a warrior. Gabriel was a messenger, right? He delivered news. Some angels guard and protect us. We don't really have guardian. You don't like have a guardian angel, but God sends as many angels as you need to watch over you. He did this with Jesus. We even read about boss angels. Did you know that? There are some angels who are just in charge of other angels. Isn't that cool? That'd be a cool job, wouldn't it? To be the boss angel. I'm a boss. Number six. All right, this is the last one. Angels worship and glorify God, and they never get tired of it. And did you know that that's something that we will have forever in common with angels? Is that we will worship and glorify God in his presence, and we will never get tired of it. We'll never get tired of it. So when you see an angel in the Bible, and you see them reacting to God, to something God is doing... You can trust that they have an inside, uh, they, they know something we don't know, and we can learn from them and how they respond to God, that perhaps that's how we should respond to God, because they know. All right, so those are six things you know about angels. Is that cool? All right, you guys are going to go across the hall, or you can stay in here if you want to, and you guys have been awesome. Thank you so much for your help. And as you guys, yeah, stand up, go ahead, stand up, stand up, high five line on your way out, go, go. Go, go. What's, what's that? Oh, okay, awesome. Oh, man. I got denied. I got denied by a kid. That's not cool. All right. That was fun. Did you guys learn something about angels? My notes are right here. I have scripture references. I'm kind of a, well, I am, I'm a Bible nerd. If I'm going to tell you something, especially about angels, I'm going to have a proof text for it. So all that stuff, if you're, if you're interested, you can come up here and see my notes. If you're like, I don't know if that guy was telling the truth. Um, all right. Well, we are, we're in Advent. We've read this passage that is about Mary, uh, the mother of God's son, and we've been walking through this story, and, and so we're coming to this passage where an angel appears, right? An angel appears, and let's see, what did I do with my, oh, it's over there, okay, good. Um, an angel appears to Mary and tells her, you're going to have a child, God's going to do this, and he's going to be the Savior, and he's going to 
deliver people from their sin. God gives us things we don't know to ask for. He does things in our life that we don't really know that we need him to do. So I'm in fourth grade. It's a Tuesday. I'm standing in line at the water fountain at Lincoln Elementary School in Tipton, Indiana. And the school bully, who I will refer to as Clubber Lang, comes up to me and he tells me that he is going to beat me up at recess on Friday. That's just cold, right? (laughs) It's a Tuesday. And he says, on Friday, I'm going to beat you up at recess. And every time I see him, he reminds me that he's going to beat me up on Friday at recess. His friends remind me that he's going to beat me up on Friday at recess. My friends remind me (laughs) that he's going to beat me up at recess on Friday. I'd never been in a fight in my life. I'm a fourth grade boy. I'd never been in a fight. I didn't plan on being in this one, but at that time, boys in my town, we kind of lived by a code, and the code said, I have to show up. I have to show up for this fight because to hide would be even worse than getting beat up. And yet to fight back was unthinkable. I was never a fighter. That was not something I was going to do. And so I just went through the week presuming that on Friday, Clubber Lang was just going to beat the tar out of me, and that was just going to be the story that was going to be told. And so for the rest of the week, he just ruled, right? He ruled the world. He ruled my world anyway, not just the playground, but every waking minute of my life, he kind of held the keys to my future. He counted down my remaining opportunities for joy. And then after that, there would be none. And so there's Clubber off holding court on the monkey bars with his friends. And then there's me across the playground by the swing set just doing hard time, right? And Friday morning rolls around, and I'm getting ready for school, and I am just stone cold serious. I'm a dead man walking. And I am obviously upset as I'm getting ready, and my mother does what mothers do, and that's she keyed in on something's not right with my boy, and so she asked me what was, going to, what was wrong, and I said, nothing, I'm fine. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> and so she sits me down, and she pries it out of me, and I, I, I tell her about Clubber Lang, who's going to beat me up in about five hours. And then I tell her, you have to let me do this. You can't, you can't intervene. I can't chicken out. A fourth grader only has so much honor to work with, and to hide would deplete all of the reserve that I had. And so I make my mom promise me that she will not interfere. And all day, Clubber is just sneering at me, and I'm dreading what's coming. And I'm feeling a profound need for rescue, and I know it's not coming. And then five minutes before recess, Principal Gordon calls Clubber and me down to the office, and he levels his gaze at my Goliath, and he says, you will not lay a hand 
on Russ, do you understand me? And that was the end of that. For three days, I lived under the fear of Clubber's threat. And the entire time, I had forgotten I had a principal. It didn't occur to me that my mom interceded on my behalf for years. Like, it took years for me to connect the dots that, <laughs> oh, mom picked up the phone and called the principal. I just thought, I thought, this, this man hears from God. You know, <laughs> he just, he got the message and I, I figured that, that my world was only as big as my trouble, and my only option was just to take the beating that Clubber was going to deliver, and that was the world I was just going to live in. I was just going to live in that, and that was the way it was going to be, and nobody was going to help it because nobody really could. And I was prepared to just live with that and to take whatever punishment that meant this world would give me. And then somebody intervened. Why? Because I was on their watch. I belonged to them in that scenario. It's quite a thing to be rescued, right? It's quite a thing. When you don't suspect it's possible, you have a deep need, and it's met even when you didn't ask for it to be. That's what's happening in our passage. God intervenes. He intervenes for Mary and for us, and he does it when we don't ask him to. God speaks to people who are not looking for him. And this is a mystery to me. And I know some of you, you have stories, because I know some of your stories. And your stories are, God got in my business in a time when I wasn't really asking him to. And he changed everything. Mary's a young girl. She's living her life. She's not waiting really for God to come, or at least she doesn't have a sense of what that's going to be. She's probably a teenager when this happened, when she got engaged to Joseph. They lived in this out-of-the-way town that wasn't anything very special, Nazareth. We don't really know where she came from. We know that her uh, fiancé, Joseph, was of the line of David, but we also know he was a blue-collar guy. He was, he was not royalty himself. And they were simple people in a simple town living simple lives and they were working hard toward a life that they could just live out together as husband and wife like all the other husbands and wives. And all of this is interrupted when, angel, when, when Mary is visited by an angel who tells her something that is going to dramatically change the course of her life and not only that, but it's going to dramatically change the course of the rest of human history. And that's not an overstatement. And the message the angel brings, which is the message of Christmas, it comes in three parts, which I'm going to talk about briefly, and they are this. The Lord is saying to us, I know your deepest, greatest need. I am meeting it. And the way I am meeting it is effective. I know your deepest, greatest need. I'm meeting it, and the way I'm meeting it is effective. The angel tells Mary she has found favor with God so she should not fear. What a statement. Mary is known by God. He's interacting with her. And he likes her. There's, just, there's a lot to that, right? That's a beautiful thing. And so forget the plastic nativity Mary and imagine this real girl 
who discovers that the Lord of all, the Lord of all creation, loves her. That he knows her. That he's involved in the details of her life. It's important for us to understand this because what he knew of Mary, he knows of us. She's not special in that sense. What did God know of Mary that he knows of you, that he knows of me? Her name, calls her by name. It's so intimate, isn't it, to use a name? Don't, don't fear Mary. It's the other thing he knows about her. He knows her fear. Do not be afraid, he says in verse 30, the angel. What, what, are, what are your fears that you feel like are just kind of private, you know? The fear that just you, you, nobody can intervene in. The beating you're going to take, uh, the, 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 the suffering road you're going to walk, the thing that you just feel is coming and there's nothing you can do to stop it. The angel didn't shame Mary for being afraid, which is a beautiful thing. He doesn't shame her. He meets her. He meets her in the fear. He knows because like we talked about with the kids, angels aren't little tiny babies with wings that are just cute and adorable. They're, they're mighty that every time an angel appears for people in scripture, their reaction is the same. And that is they're scared out of their minds because they are encountering a power like they've never seen. So God knows her name, knows her fear, knows her confusion. She says, how, how can this be possible? God isn't impatient with Mary's inability to understand, which is such a relief, right? That God says, I'm doing things. There are things I'm about in your life and in the world and we say, I don't see it and I don't understand it. And God doesn't turn around and walk and say, and say I can't believe you can't pick up on what I'm, <laughs> I'm saying here. He's, he's not impatient with her inability to understand. And so it raises the question, what is God doing that doesn't make sense to you? It's okay to tell him that. It's okay to say, I don't, I don't understand what you're doing. You can ask. You can pick up his word and, and read and learn. So he knows her name, her fear, her confusion. He knows her future. Right? You will have a son, he tells her. What I like about this is God knows your future, and he doesn't really require you to understand how it can be possible in order for him to do it. So... God's will doesn't require a capacity to understand it. He's writing the story, and he's writing a story on Mary's life. And it's just, it's, it's what he's going to do. And lastly, he knows the general brokenness of the world that she lives in and the brokenness of the world that we live in. This world needs a heavenly king. That's what the angel is saying. He's going to bring you a son. He's going to rule, and he's going to reign over the house of David forever with such authority, no one will ever dethrone him. He knows the brokenness of this world. This world needs a king who has healing power. And you see the brokenness too. We see the things that break our heart, that we look around and we say, this world needs healing. It needs intervention. And what the angel reveals to Mary is that God knows Mary, and he knows her heart, and he knows her fear, he knows her world, he knows its brokenness. But at Christmas, 
you know, we, we remember that he hasn't just come to tell her that he knows what her greatest, deepest need is. He's also responding to it. He's meeting it. So I know your deepest, greatest need, and I am meeting it. God doesn't just know what we need. Christmas is the story of him acting and meeting it perfectly. And it's such an elaborate thing that he does. But here's how God addresses our deepest needs. He tells Mary, all right, listen, you are going to have a son. You're a virgin. You're going to have a son. And he's going to be named Jesus. And he's going to be called the son of God. And the poor betrothed virgin would have a son given to her. And God has already chosen this boy's name. And Matthew's gospel points out that the name Jesus means salvation. So what God is saying to Mary is, you're a virgin, you're going to have a son. His name is going to be Jesus because he's going to be the Savior. John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The author of Hebrews calls him our great high priest. That God is intervening and interceding. And they're not even asking him to. One of the most astounding things about this angelic visit is what happens with Mary is she moves from this posture of fear and uncertainty and confusion to acceptance. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Because what else can she do? What other response can she have? When the Lord moves us to a place where we say, I don't see the angles anymore. I don't see how you could do this and how I could partner with you in making this happen and I could do this and this could be my part and that could be your part. She just has to say, I, I'm being acted upon and the only option I really have is to say, okay, okay. How does Mary know God can bring about the miracle? Well, he points her to another miracle birth points her to her cousin Elizabeth who is old, who has been barren her entire life and she's carrying John the Baptist in her womb who would make way, make, you know, prepare the way for the Messiah's coming. It's astonishing because the way God means to respond to Mary's need and to ours on the surface is impossible. A virgin with a child. Which is great because it makes us have to say, well, if this is going to happen, it has to be something you do in ways that I don't understand you can do things. It's only good news if it's possible. And if it is possible, then the question is, will it really work? God knows our deepest, greatest need. He is meeting it, and the way he is meeting it is effective. God doesn't just give us a cure. He gives us a king. He gives us one to rule and to reign. As my fight with clever Lang didn't happen. So the battle between light and dark is not going to sway back and forth and be undetermined. There's a resolve. There's a finality to what God is doing. Mary, did she know? She knew some, right? She knew some things, sort of. But she's like us. She saw a fraction of what there was to see. All of this, it's, just, it's a glimpse but she doesn't have the capacity to see everything. She can't. But what's going to happen, because we have hindsight now, we can see 
and even still we see through a glass darkly, is this. The Son of God, Jesus, will reign over God's people, and he will do this as their king. And he'll do this by keeping a covenant that God the Father had made to his people centuries earlier. This passage we read refers to the house of Jacob, right? That's going back thousands and thousands of years. Here's a thought. Every kindness and every promise that God extends to us is not based on promises he made to us when we were born. God's kindness and his faithfulness to us is based on promises he made to people millennia ago on the other side of the globe who spoke a language we don't speak. And that's kind of an amazing thing to think about because it can be very easy for us to think God's interest in me and his relationship with me began the day I first believed or began the day I was born, and that's just not the case. God is eternal, and you have been on the mind of God since before one of your days came to pass, like David Carter Bingham, right? God knows his story. He knows his life. He knows what he's going to do with that boy. We don't, but what we do know is God is not looking at David and saying, I'm going to see what choices you make, what thoughts you have, what career path you decide you want to do, and then I'll figure out how I'm going to work in your life. No, that's not how God works. God says, before one of your days came to pass, I've known it completely. God keeps his promises, and they are ancient promises. So this encounter that happens between Mary and the Lord is an intimate thing, right? It's an intimate encounter between a Lord and his daughter. And in this sense, Mary could be any of us. She's like us in that she understands so little in comparison to what the angel is actually telling her, and God doesn't require complete understanding to act, just like I didn't realize for years that it was my mom who called the principal and saved my neck that day. I didn't need to understand that in order for her to do it and in order for my life to be rescued. Whether we fully understand or not what God is doing in us or through us, it's beautiful to see this passage and to realize God speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word, which means he's with us. Just like he said, Jesus will be Emmanuel, God with us. And this word from God to Mary, it left her, not just with words to, pro- to think about and to be encouraged by, but it left her with an actual presence in her life. It left her with God's word become flesh, Jesus The pregnancy happened, the birth happened, the boy happened. And the message to Mary and to us is this. Essentially, God knows what the world needs to be healed, and he's giving it. And what he's giving is effective. He's intervened. In this process of intervening in our lives, he will change us, he will break us, he will expose us sometimes, he will humble us. He will draw us deeper into humility, peace, and graciousness, open-handedness. And he will make us his advocates of peace in this world. He will use us. And so even when we don't understand what is happening in us, when we don't understand what's happening around us, I pray that God would draw from us the response that he drew from Mary. I don't understand 
afraid. But do what you're going to do. May it be done to me as you have said. May our celebration of Christmas then be marked by our worship of Jesus. Pray with me. Father, during these Christmas scriptures that can be on the one hand so familiar, um, they're so full of, of the cosmic interacting with the physical, uh, with the, the divine interacting with mere mortals. And, uh, and we see, Lord, that, that there is more than just this world. Uh, and, and we're grateful for it. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help us to be captured by a sense of wonder of what you're doing. Uh, thank you for the story of Christmas and for the simplicity of it. I thank you, Lord, for the, the story of Christmas being one that, that children love because it has things kids love. It has moms and it has babies and it has animals and it has angels and special messages and, and, and light and uh, Lord, would you give us a childlike awe uh, and, and reverence and, and wonder at the story of, of the birth of Jesus. Thank you for your gift and your mercy and your grace. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.